as you're having a seat, if you could turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. We're going to be concluding our look through the book of Ruth uh, this morning with uh, Ruth chapter 4. So Ruth 4, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now it was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have brought, bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be known, renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amminadab, and Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. 
Here ends the reading of God's Word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our Lord remains forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I think it's only appropriate this past week that we were able to celebrate a birth in our congregation. Uh, we do want to give congratulations to, to Keith and Amy, uh, to the entire Sartain family. Uh, as you know, Liam was, uh, or as you may know, he was in the NICU. Um, he is doing well. Um, and uh, Amy is doing well. Um, it, it was uh, a difficult time initially, uh, but they are recovering well. Uh, numbers are getting back up to where they should be. And uh, this is just a great time of celebration for the Sartain family. And we rejoice with them uh, at the birth of Liam. This is a, an exciting time. Uh, in our story this morning, in Ruth, we also celebrate the birth of Obed, of this uh, son that is born to Boaz and Ruth. We finally get to the climax, to, uh, to, um, to this point in Ruth where things come together and we get to enjoy um, things going well for Ruth. So as we go through this passage, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about this ceremony that they go through. Um, it, say, it says there, starting in verse 7, it, it explains the custom that is going on. This is most likely because Ruth was written later uh, than, uh, than uh, the time frame that, uh, of Ruth. It was probably written uh, maybe during the time of King David, maybe even a little beyond that. So they had to explain. It's like having us explain you know, what were the customs were like 100 years ago, or 150 years ago, maybe during the time of the Civil War, or things like that. Um, things were a little bit different back then, even though it's still the United States. And so they had to explain this custom that they would, they would do, um, this ceremony that Boaz goes through. And what he does immediately after Ruth visits him, he is a man of his word, he is a worthy man, he immediately that morning goes to the gate. He, said, he does what he says he will do. And the gate was a meeting place. It was a place where business was conducted. The elders uh, of that town were there. There were witnesses uh, for business transactions. And lo and behold, what would happen? Uh, but the Redeemer would come by. Obviously, this is God's sign of providence, as we've seen throughout the book of Ruth. Uh, this is how he shows his love. Uh, the Redeemer comes by. And Boaz uh, asks him to come and sit down so that they can have this discussion. Uh, Boaz presents the opportunity for this man to be the redeemer. Boaz is a little sly. Uh, at first, he leaves out some very pertinent information. Um, he says, here's this land. Will you buy it? And the redeemer says, yeah, land. Great. I can expand uh, my current property. This will be a great benefit to me. He says, oh, and by the way, with the land comes Ruth. And with Ruth, that means that you have to perpetuate her line. Um, that means that if you have a child that is born to her, that it will not be yours. It will be Ruth's. It will be Naomi's to keep that line going. Not wanting to deal with that, 
and uh, the Redeemer then says at that point, you know what, I think I'm going to pass. That's okay. You can redeem it. Um, so Boaz steps forward then, and he honors his commitment to Ruth. He steps forward as the Redeemer, and he takes her as his wife. She becomes his wife, and she gives birth to a son, and his name is Obed. And Naomi is overjoyed. She is, I don't know, she's on top of the world. How can you describe what Naomi is feeling right now? She finally has a grandson that she can bounce on her knee uh, as was custom in that time, she is the nurse of the child. She gets to have very intimate moments with this, her grandson. And she is thrilled. The book of Ruth ends in the climax of redemption. And it is beautiful. But what does this redemption, this R word, redemption, what does this really mean? We need to take a few moments and define redemption now, there is a certain restaurant chain that you probably are familiar with, and I'm not going to mention the name of it because my children at this point are unaware of this restaurant chain, and we'd like to keep it that way as long as possible. You'll know what I mean when I start talking about it. So it's this restaurant chain that you go, and, and you go, and you have pizza, and uh, you enjoy time together as a family, but the point of this restaurant chain is not the pizza, it's the games and the tickets that you get from these games. And so you play games like skee-ball, and, and I don't know, I haven't been there in a while, and so I don't remember all the games that they play. Um, but you buy these tokens, and you play these games, and they spit out tickets for you. And uh, at the end, you know, you can get 1,000 tickets, and you get a piece of candy, or, you know, 5,000, and you get a, a pencil. You know, I, I don't know what, the, what it is at this point, but it takes a lot of tickets to get a very simple thing. Uh, and, um, and you try to compile all these tickets so that you can get these toys, uh, a bouncy ball. I don't, I don't know what they have anymore. Um, but this is the concept of redemption. You have these tickets, and there is a prize counter. You take your tickets, and you get a toy. You redeem a toy that is being held captive by the workers of this restaurant uh, behind the prize counter. There's different nuances to this word redemption. Um, a lot of synonyms that we can, we can describe. Um, it's like a ransom. A setting free of something that was held captive. Like God redeemed the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. They were being held captive as slaves and God ransomed them. He redeemed them. It has this sense of of restoration, uh, a return to a, a rightful place, or in a sense, a return to a, a former glory, even. You know, anytime a star athlete has an injury, and after that injury, and they go through uh, recuperation, uh, and they're back playing again to their normal strength, we call that, you know, there's been a redemption there. Or when a team is used to winning, and suddenly they lose unexpectedly, but then they come back the next year and there's redemption. They're back to the place where they need to be or where they're used to being. Or when you take an old house that's been neglected for years and years, 
and the owners of the house have done projects and they've put maybe carpet in it and you buy this house and you restore it. You pull up the carpet and you find that there's beautiful wood floor underneath it and you restore, you bring that floor back to its former glory, to its original beauty. This is restoration. This is redemption. Things going back to the way that they should be. It's a sense of, of buying back something that was lost. Boaz pays the price to set Ruth free after she has been held captive as a widow. Boaz restores Ruth to her former life when she had a husband, the hopes of a family. Boaz pays the price to redeem Ruth. And we know that Boaz points forward to our ultimate Redeemer. Boaz is a type of Christ. Because we know that ultimately Christ is our Redeemer. But I'm not going to spend time focusing on Boaz this morning. Because there's another redemption that is going on here. In the book of Ruth, Boaz does play the part of the kinsman Redeemer. He redeems Ruth. But Boaz isn't the only one who portrays this concept of redemption. In fact, you could even argue that he isn't even the one who most clearly portrays redemption. When we think of redemption, we think of what Christ has done for us. He has redeemed us through his death on the cross, and Boaz certainly points us to Christ. He absolutely does. But someone else does even more clearly and that is one of the reasons why this book is named after her. Ruth, Ruth is the one who most clearly portrays Christ's redemption through her chesed love of Naomi. So let's look at these acts of redemption through Ruth. You know, from the beginning of the book, it is Ruth who is clearly displaying this love, this chesed said love that we've been talking about for the last four weeks. Her dying to self so that others may live. In the beginning, she was grieving the loss of her husband. But she chose to put Naomi's grief in front of her own. She gave up her country, her people, her family to care for her mother-in-law, knowing that the chances of her having a family of her own were slim to none. Naomi told her from the very beginning, I haven't had much to offer you. I don't have another son. Uh, the chances of me having another son are non-existent. I've got nothing to offer you. But Ruth went anyways. She put aside her own comfort to go out and glean in the fields of Israel, knowing full well that she as a foreigner, could be taken advantage of. She risked her reputation last week on a gutsy plan hatched out by her mother-in-law to approach a man on the threshing floor and propose marriage to him. You know, in the beginning of Ruth, we talked about this irony that is presented uh, in this book, that the Hebrew literature is just very, it's just wrought with this irony. In the land of Bethlehem, we saw this town that is called the house of bread, there's a famine. That this man called Elimelech, meaning God is king, 
abandons the kingdom of God, and instead he goes to Moab, and where he eventually dies. We see that Naomi, her name is Pleasant, but she is experiencing anything but pleasantness. And when she comes back to uh, Israel, to Bethlehem, she desires her name to be changed to Mara, meaning bitter. You know, the book ends, ironically as well, with a great deal of irony. And perhaps the greatest irony of all, because it is Ruth, the Moabite woman, this foreigner, is the one who shows Israel how to love. You know, Israelites, they have this motto, I guess you could say. It's what they call the Shema. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. And it's, it's called the Shema because the first word in that is Shema Israel, which means, hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. This, as we know, is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus told us that in the New Testament. But he followed it up and he said, uh, and he adds, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting the Old Testament there. And it is Ruth. It is this foreigner who is showing Israel how to fulfill their motto. Ruth is showing Israel how to love. And it is Ruth, the Moabite woman, who most clearly gives us a vision of Christ and His love for us. You know, as we talked about from the beginning, Ruth experiences a type of death throughout this book. As she is showing love, she is consistently dying to herself. She leaves. Uh, she has a husband who dies. She leaves her homeland. Her future looks bleak. But without death, there is no resurrection. In fact, death leads to resurrection. Ruth's acts of self-sacrifice and self-denial have now led to her very resurrection. And in reality, Ruth is giving us a picture of what the Christian life is truly like. If you read throughout Scripture, especially through the teachings of Jesus, He taught about the dynamics of the kingdom of God, what it is like, and how to love others. He says that the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. He says if you want to follow Him, you need to become like a little child. In the Beatitudes, He says, blessed are those who are poor, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says, blessed are you when others revile and persecute you. And say, utter and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And in Luke 9, verse 23, he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 6, says, Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're also baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection life like his. The life of a Christian, ironically, is a life of dying. It's a life of dying because as Christians we are called to live like Christ, to love God so much that, we, that He was willing to lay down His life to accomplish the will of His Father in heaven. And as followers of Christ, we are called also to lay down our lives for Him. You know, ultimately the book of Ruth is about Christ. Ultimately it is. I know that Jesus is never mentioned in the book, but everything in this story ultimately points to Him. At the end of the book here, as we see the the story and the action kind of fading out as if in a movie, uh, at the end of the story, everyone fades to the background. Ruth, Naomi, Boaz all fade out. And we read this genealogy that ends with King David. But we know that the genealogy doesn't end there. Instead, Matthew picks it up in Matthew chapter 1. From Boaz and Ruth would eventually come King David, but from King David would come the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The story of Ruth points us forward to the redemption that we have in Christ. The redemption that is even greater than what Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi experienced in this book. The story is like so many others in the Old Testament. It points us forward to Christ. It's a beautiful picture of God's redemption of His people, but in reality it is so much more. The story of Ruth is a harbinger of things to come. It's a harbinger of this redemption that will come through the greatest offspring of man, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Christ has redeemed us. And if we see ourselves rightly, we realize that in this story, we are like Naomi. In the beginning, life is great. Naomi had a husband. She had two sons. She had a good life. She had a hope and a future But then things suddenly went south. Her life changed dramatically. Her good life, her hope, her future came crashing down all around her. She went from having it all to having nothing at all. She went from pleasant to bitter. God created us in His image, in His likeness, and He created us good. We had it all. But then sin came and everything came crashing in around us. Because of our sin, we are like Naomi, bitter and hopeless. As Paul says in Ephesians 2.12, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no 
having no hope and without God in the world. We can't just think in general categories here about all of mankind. We need to realize that we personally, that you and I, because of our sin, are without hope. As we talked about in our new members class this morning, we have to realize the fact that we are toast. That we are dead in our sins. That we have no hope except for God in His sovereign mercy to us. Because of what you and I have personally done, we are without hope and without God in this world. But as you know, in our study of Ruth, chapter 1 wasn't the end of the story. It was the beginning. Ruth famously refused to leave Naomi. Ruth loved Naomi with a self-sacrificing love, caring for her, providing for her when everything else was lost. God used Ruth yes, through Boaz, to redeem Naomi. And God has redeemed us as well. You know what it says in Psalm 103. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And in 1 John 4, verse 10, the Apostle John writes, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In the NIV, it says atoning sacrifice. Christ atoned for our sins. He redeemed us by His death on the cross. He laid down His life as a sacrifice for our sins. He paid to ransom us, to buy us back when we were in slavery to our sins. And the price that He paid was not just His life. No, the ultimate price that He paid was placing Himself under the wrath of God. The price that He paid was becoming alienated from His Father. He took our place. He took what we deserved. And because of Christ, we have been redeemed. Like Naomi, those who put their faith and trust in Christ, our story ends in redemption. It ends in resurrection. Naomi has the joy of having a grandson. She gets to bounce him on her knee to watch him grow up. to see the joy of that restoration. And we, through faith in Christ, have been redeemed from the pit of destruction. And now we receive eternal life with God through Christ. 
And this is what we celebrate as we come to the table this morning. This morning as we prepare for the table, uh, Heath has a new song that he is going to teach us. This song is called, Behold the Lamb. We're going to sing the first couple of verses, verses 1 through 3, as we prepare for communion. And in verse 2, I want to point out some of the words to this song. It says, The body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, torn for you. Eat and remember. The wounds that heal, the death that brings us life. Paid the price to make us one. As Christ redeems us, this is what He has done. He has paid the price for us. So as we prepare to celebrate this redemption, this price that Christ has paid for us, let us stand together and let's sing verses 1 through 3 of Behold the Lamb.